welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast about the Australian charts throughout the 90s. My name is Danny Yao, and with me, as usual, is Tim Coyle. Hey! <laughs> Casey Atkins. Hello. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Greetings, my excellent friends. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings to you too, Tim Byron. Today we are going to do our irregular end-of-year wrap-up. Uh, we've been talking a lot about 1991. And we will wrap that up by talking about four songs that we genuinely loved or loved at some point (laughs) from 1991. These are all songs that charted at somewhere in 1991 in Australia in our charts. So I've got a very special four-sided die that we will roll to see who goes first. And everyone's got a side. So Casey, do you want to tell... Every side is a film. So Casey, do you want to say what your side is? Uh, Mine would be The Commitments. Tim Coyle? is My Private Idaho, which gives me orcish strength. <laughs> Tim Plus Byron. seven for Bill and Ted's bogus journey. <laughs> and mine is uh, LA Story, a great Steve Martin film. So, okay, so let's roll the dice. And it's a four, so it's me. It's uh, LA Story. So we're going to start with my, my favourite song of 1991, and this is Freedom 90 by George Michael. Freedom 90 by George Michael, which, which, despite the title, only charted in Australia in 1991. And we all had a thought about what everyone else would pick this week. And so I guess I have to ask you guys, what did you guys think that I would pick? I picked it. You picked it? Casey? Yeah. Tim Coyle? I picked it too. Yeah. Ah, and, and I also picked it. And I think the reason yes. for that was that you also wanted to choose this last... <laughs> Last time for 1990. <laughs> so we all knew that, so I'm going to pick that. Well, it says 90 on the game. <laughs> yeah, it's fair very enough. misleading. Do we all know why it's named Freedom 90? No idea. There is a Wham song called Freedom, and it was to differentiate between the two. freedom. That's the way it went. Yes. Do you recognise that? Because lyri- lyrically the song's about him being free of being a pop idol. Yeah, you know, I do just totally love this song. I love this sort of song where people, I mean, singer-songwriters talk about themselves, but to really sort of say what you want to say to the world and wrap it into a song so well um, and just just define where you are in your career and your identity and your change and just say it. And he doesn't hide anything. He's He talks about Wham, he talks about MTV and all everything in it, and it's amazing. It's such a great mix of intent and form like you know he just said it 
and he says that fantastic piano and the great rhythm and just his vocal performance on it is all over it so so what was it that in 1991 that spoke to you about it because obviously you didn't get that all of that was going on necessarily when you were 11 well i was already a uh george michael fan i guess because of faith yeah he was a pop star he was 100 percent a pop star he was a chart star he was you know so big and it's just perfect for when you're seven or eight when faith comes out it's an amazing song it's still actually an amazing song and then this to, for this song to come out and we'll talk about the film clip in a second but yeah the film clip just really hit it home for me but i guess let's go around the room tim byron what about you how do you feel about this song yeah i thought um freedom 90 was great i loved it at the time i, I always sort of waited for it to come on and i'm pretty sure i ended up getting like a taped tape of um the album and so yeah i, I thought uh freedom 90 was just the greatest song and one of the reasons I didn't pick it as my song was because I figured Danny would. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a couple of those sort of things tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are. <laughs> but yeah, I, like, I was actually surprised that this song wasn't a bigger single. Like it only got to number 18 or something in the Australian charts. And I was yeah. assuming in my head that it was a number one because it was just, it seemed to me like it was everywhere and it was a big song. So I, that was something I missed at the time, even though I was watching it on Rage and I knew it was a number 18, I guess. But um, yeah, to, for me, like this song, it's just, it's just so well constructed. There's just... Or like every kind of riff in it, like the bass lines and like the piano lines and like all the gospel lines on freedom. Like there's so many good parts in this song and it never really stops. There's always like a new different bit that's awesome. And so it's just one of those songs that's just a pleasure to listen to, so even still today. Tim Coyle, what about you? Yeah, this is this is a really great song. Uh, I, I loved it in 1991. And it's interesting you mention, you mention Faith and how big a pop star George Michael was because I think we forget how big he was at the time. Mm. He, was, he was really huge. And yet this song is just, as Tim Byron said, it's just so relentlessly catchy, that rolling piano riff that goes throughout and the, the gospel stings uh, just such great hooks and his vocal performance is spectacular throughout it and yeah I, I still I love listening to it again this week it's a great song Casey Atkins hmm interesting <laughs> <laughs> wow um you know it's one of those songs I um remember being around everywhere and again like you said Tim Byron that um kind of surprised that it wasn't bigger than it was and that we're not talking about it as a number one but um because I certainly remember it from being all over the place but um, I don't really remember liking it particularly much at the time. I just remember it being one of those songs that was just kind of there and, and part of the makeup. But what's funny about it now is I listen to it and I, hmm, I don't think it's necessarily a bad song, but I don't really get much from it. I find the production on it's really funny. His voice, did no one else think that his voice was really strangely low in the mix. Do you no, not find I, that? I love his vocal performance. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I, and it, this is not against the performance, mm. but I, I find that his voice in it sits back strangely in the mix. I think from a production and, standpoint for such a powerful and versatile singer, it, it's interesting that the voice isn't so robust and right at, at front and centre of this song because the piano is really the focal point. Exactly. And and the, the voice kind of should be driving it, but for me it's not. And to me, you know, I've heard what all you guys reckon and I've just <laughs> seemed to have the, um, 
yeah, very different opinion. But for me, for a seven-minute song, it feels to me because of the way his voice is mixed, it never even properly starts. Really? Yeah, I just wow. feel like I'm waiting for it to like break into something huge for the whole thing. Even, even when the and gospel yeah, strings come even, in? Yeah, even. And I don't know, and I've got this other thing in my mind about this song, which is kind of unfair to the song, but possibly similar to Tim Coyle's reaction to Daryl Braithwaite's The Horses <laughs> from a couple of weeks ago, is that this song may be just like doomed to spend its time in the background of ads for insurance or something. Or, well, um, I think yeah. it was actually used for Freedom Furniture. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. And that, that really just kind of taints it for me as well. Yeah. But I, I just can't get a lot from it. I don't hate it, but it just it doesn't do for me what I wanted it to and what I felt like it should. What about on the level of what he was trying to do, which was to stop being the guy from Wham mm. and to become, I guess in a little way, Prince, or I guess in a little way, mm. like a more serious artist, a more critically acclaimed artist. Do you think... It's a step up from the... Yeah, I think my thing was I didn't really know Wham very well. So I'd really... Faith was my first real exposure to George Michael. So to me, he was already a big pop star in his own right. Mm. And he didn't have that background that he obviously had so much difficulty living down and seemed to prey on his mind so much, which this song would suggest. So to me, it just, uh, I didn't even really find out he was in Wham until much later than 1991. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? You guys didn't know Last Christmas? and I knew the songs. I just didn't know they were either Wham or I didn't know it was George Michael Mm. singing necessarily. Yeah, like I knew Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go and I knew Faith, but in my mind the, the, yeah. yeah, It was a while before I put two and two together. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. right. Okay. Um, The film clip. Genius for me. I didn't watch it. I can't remember it. Oh, okay. So, So this comes back to me, a story I told in the podcast about how, you know, I did work at labels and you get the film clip treatment. You get mm. you get a director coming along and going, this is what I my vision for the film clip and running you, like a couple of A4s about how the film clip's going to run. And the film clip for this one was actually by David Fincher as well, someone mm. who did the film clip we talked about a few weeks ago. Journey's got, got a gun. And so I'm just imagining the treatment for this is just... Well, George doesn't want to appear in this, so I'm just going to have five world-famous supermodels sweating <laughs> in the Find me the hottest five women <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> and lip-sync to this song. And it is just... I don't know. Did you guys watch the film clip this week? Oh, yeah. I remember it really well. I, did, I didn't actually watch it this week, but it's pretty much seared on my memory. <laughs> yeah. And he does the thing in the film clip where they burn the... The jacket, mm. his leather jacket from Faith and the acoustic guitar and it gets smashed and all that sort of stuff. So it's like a very, it's on the nose. And, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, I guess I love the statement of it. And I think of people like Gary Barlow or someone who probably wishes he wasn't in a pop band and taken seriously and can write a pretty good song when he wants to. Well, actually, one thing that I did think of when listening to this was Robbie Williams. Ah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Another, another great example. Actually, Robbie Williams probably takes a lot from this, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's any coincidence that he covered this song. Yeah, and the famous story with this was the video clip that he made when he covered this song. He hadn't actually recorded the song yet. And so the video clip, he lip-synced um, to the, to the original Michael version. Huh. That's funny. Wow. So, but, yeah. but, yeah, the video clip for this song, um, I mean, yeah, it, I knew that they were, like, supermodels at the time and I knew that they were, like, big deals, but I didn't really know who they were and I was nine and I wasn't quite old enough to be, like, whoa, 
they're hot and like to worry about that. So I was just sort of watching it thinking, wow, this is an expensive video clip. That was the thing I remember. Like, it looked expensive. They're burning stuff. And also, they're burning stuff in a closet. Why don't they take it outside? They won't hurt anything else. <laughs> it was a hot night. All the supermodels were sweaty. <laughs> they weren't wearing very much. Maybe they were trying to keep warm, you know? like That's, that's true. <laughs> and I guess... The the other question is, what do we think about George Michael? I mean, obviously, you know, throughout the 90s, he kind of disappeared. He disappeared for five and a half years after this. The record company that had him and Wham and stuff, he decided to take the court and didn't record this. For... Well, when was... Um, the, the, the other... My kind of other overarching memory of George Michael from the 90s is too funky. When mm. was that? That was um, 92. Yeah, 92. Okay, yeah. So it wasn't so it was, wasn't too far after this. And which, I remember a lot of super. I remember the supermodels from that. Mm-hmm. Which she was sitting there watching a fashion parade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, Too Funky was a real big step, a, a further step away from what he was previously, starting to head more towards funk and blue-eyed soul and dance music. Well, dance more than anything. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. previously, a song like Faith is is not that at all. No, he's he's. I mean, he just took in charge. Of, he took charge of his own production mm. and songwriting. I th- I just think he's killing it. So I don't know how you guys feel about George Michael, Casey. Um, yeah, he was a bit bit of an also ran for for me. There was some you know singles that I didn't mind when they were on. This one, like I said, it was around. I didn't hate it. It passed me by. Too funky. I remember fairly well. Faith, I loved. But like you said before, like Faith, when we were seven. It was just. Yeah. Awesome. You know, it was fantastic. But what George Michael was was very much not what I was into in the sure. 90s, you know, especially when it got to a few years after this when I was making uh, or putting a lot more thought into the music that I was listening to. George Michael wasn't really on that kind of radar. Tim Byron, what about you? Yeah, for George Michael, I think I was a bit young for Faith. Like, I don't really remember that at the time, though it's one of those songs that I obviously know every word of because it's just one of those songs. Freedom 90 is the song, like, it's my favourite song by him by some distance. I mean, it's interesting in that, in a way, with this song. Like, there's so, there's so many lyrics in Freedom 90 that are just kind of heartbreaking, like, because they're obviously, like, coming straight from his, you know, straight from mm. his soul kind of stuff. And, like, you know, li- lines like, um, all we have to do is, you know, take these lies and make them true. It's like... Ah, oh, dude, you know, he must have really struggled with being a gay guy who was trying to be the sex symbol to the women and stuff like that. And I'm sure that's some of what this song is about. It's not just the anti-record company, but that he didn't feel like he could be who he actually was. Like, it's not just him screaming at a wall. He's ice cool while he does it, which is what well, I love. It's immaculately yeah. sung over yeah. a pretty immaculate melody. So it's it's interesting in that way. It's not him venting at no. all. He's actually... The, the way I'm going to, to shoot these guys down is by creating a very perfect pop song. Yes, exactly, which mm. MTV will have to play mm. yeah. with a great film clip that is iconic. Well, Tim Coyle, what about you then? Yeah, uh, look, Freedom 90 was kind of the the point for me at which I really love the song, but after that there wasn't a whole lot of George Michael that really, really spoke to me. I think, as you say, he went away for a while and then was dogged by controversy uh, for for a time in the 90s when he was basically forced into coming out as mm. well. And uh, a consequence of that is that those of a, a meaner mindset, he became a punchline to a lot yeah. of jokes. And, sure. yeah, it, it's kind of it's had an odd effect on how people like myself who aren't necessarily big fans, but there are songs of his I really, really like, and I've always regarded him very, very highly as a singer 
because his voice is fantastic and he turns in immaculate but also very smart vocal performances. And, yeah, yeah it's, it's a shame that for a lot of people his career has been coloured by the controversy that surrounded him. And and just for everyone listening now, um, we're actually recording this after he just had another car accident and he's, he's in hospital, so we, we wish him the best. Oh, yeah. It's his second one in... God, I don't even know. Yeah, so, yeah, no, it's... Well, <laughs> he's going to be okay, it seems, but, yeah, he's not been having a very good run. He's definitely... I don't know, maybe he'll go down in history as being another tortured artist because he do, he's playing in the pop world which doesn't thank you for that as much as the rock world but mm. he's definitely got something about some demons that he's chasing we'll move on to our next song and second roll of the dice does someone want to roll the dice oh, Tim Coyle <laughs> and it's my own private Idaho which is Tim Coyle's choice so Tim uh, why don't you introduce your song okay uh, this is Losing My Religion by R.E.M. Okay, that was Losing My Religion by uh, R.E.M. I was going to say by Tim Coyle. <laughs> Although, let's face it, we've, uh, you must have you thought about wish. that at some point. <laughs> uh, and just quickly around the room, what did we all think that Tim Coyle was going to choose? Yeah. Casey? Yeah, I picked it. Tim Byron? What else was he going to pick? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, sure, I thought it would have been Aisha by another bad creation. So... <laughs> That, did, that, that was a contender. <laughs> well, you know, I like you so bad. Um, Tim Cole, what does this song mean for you? Oh, well, every, everyone picked this straight up, and that's because everyone in this room knows that R.E.M. are my favourite band and were pretty much from the moment I saw this song. Uh, the first, mo- first time I saw this song was it, the clip just came up on Rage when it probably ended the charts in about number 18 or 14 or something like that. And the film clip, which is a pretty amazing thing in and of itself, Mm. was so striking. And to hear this song, the lead instrument is a mandolin, which I had heard before, but not played in this way. A mandolin is very rarely a lead instrument in the way it is on this song. And the film clip is so moody and it used a lot of the iconography I grew up with as a Catholic and it was striking and disturbing. And yeah, I just, that melody was so haunting and really just 
just grabbed me and intrigued me for for the longest time and I became uh, just so interested in this song. I got my parents to go out and buy me out of time and I became fascinated with the band even more so after listening to to this album that there was, I think, um, IRS Records released a Best of R.E.M. shortly after to capitalise on the success of Out of Time and Losing My Religion. So I got my parents to go out and buy that, and that's the IRS years, and that was just another revelation on top of Out of Time as well. And I just became fascinated with the band and uh, read press clippings and chased everything up. This is before the internet. There wasn't a lot of information going around. So... So Knowing everyone here knows, and you know you're you're mm. a huge Ariam fan. So was this the entry point? But this was it. Um, this was the first time I had knowingly knowingly listened to Ariam. I would say I'd probably heard the one I love on radio at some sure. point before mm. then, because when I heard that on the best of Ariam tape, I was like, I know this song, but hadn't known it was them before. Mm. But this was definitely the first Ariam song I remember putting the name to the band. Sure. Tim Byron, what about you? So, yeah, I reckon like Tim Coyle, this was the first um, R.E.M. song that I remember putting the name to the band. Like I must have heard like Stand and like the one I love at some point around this time. I'm not sure which came first, but this was the first one that, yeah, like Tim Coyle, that I had the the name and the band and the song together. And I remember here seeing this song for the first time on Rage and hating the fuck out of it. Like I, was, I was just like, what is this song? Why is it so boring? And why is it so sad and mournful? What this isn't this isn't a pop song. What's all this about? Why is this bald guy sort of dancing weird in the video clip? And who are all these he sad wasn't people? Bald. He wasn't bald bald at that point. He was I getting that's what Bill Berry was thinking as well. <laughs> but like oh, that, every everyone but Michael was thinking that. <laughs> but you know what? Like as I kept seeing it every week on Rage, because I was watching Rage every week by the point that I was seeing this, I came to like it. Like, like I sort of, like, came to sort of get over, like, the initial kind of reaction to it being slow and mournful and not really liking that. And I came to sort of, like, to sort of see that there was something fascinating about it. Like, I knew it was something sort of adult and, like, that I didn't quite understand as a nine-year-old, that something was going on that was like a... There was something important about the song. I remember, I remember thinking that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, there's a well-known effect in psychology, like the mere exposure effect, which is basically the more familiar you become with things up to a certain point, the more you like them. And I think that's like just one of the things that happens to nine-year-old kids watching stuff on the charts. There's lots of new things that you've never seen before and you've got to try and figure out, do I like this or not? And often just like listening to it over and over again, like you start to appreciate things about it that you hadn't seen before that. And like even when you're nine and you're super open-minded to everything, I think that's just something that happens. So yeah, in the end, I started to like losing my religion. And um, yeah, today, of course, like I, I listen to it and I'm, you know, it's an amazing song. It's it's fantastic. And um, Tim Coyle had a great grounding very early on in this kind of stuff, <laughs> which I'm sort of jealous so what, of. So what you're saying is that if only Casey had heard Where Sweet Sweet Surrender a bit more when he was nine, I <laughs> would have just opened yeah. him up a bit more. <laughs> Casey, what about you? What about losing my religion? Did not, you hear it enough to like it? You're not going to let that one go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I well, I must have heard it enough to like it because I certainly did like it then. And it was possibly, in in retrospect, the first thing that that may have counted towards you know anything that 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 could possibly be be described as indie rock, even though it was probably even major label at that point. But it still yeah. has that sound 
to it. And I, you know, I, I definitely remember liking it. Um, and I listen to it now, like I listened to that song this week probably a dozen times and it's so amazingly well put together. And the things that I've kind of learnt about REM and grown to love about REM through the years are all, they're just there in this song. The The way they put instruments together, absolutely everything does exactly what it needs to do and nothing more. The vocal harmony lines are just perfect. I've always loved Bill Burry's drumming. He just... He plays. I've always said this about him. He plays drums like a songwriter, you know, which is just so mm. amazing on these songs. And that incessant, um, like beautifully incessant riff on the mandolin, yeah. you know, it play it repeats itself about four times in every chorus, but then it disappears for <laughs> for the verse, and then it comes back, and it's just oh, it's just absolutely amazing. It's it's, it's an incredible song, and I love it. And it got me uh, interested in in REM as well. You know, I'm right there with Tim Kyle. They're one of my favorite bands. Uh, I just moved house and went through all my records, and A, I own everything R.E.M. has ever done. Uh, they're a band that I've taken overseas flights to go see. Hmm. and Not from Australia, though. No, <laughs> but I, um, yeah, when they did the shows that led up to Accelerate, I flew from London to Dublin for five nights to see five nights of R.E.M. Wow. And they're one of my favourite bands. I've got, I actually sold some of it because I have, out of time in particular, I had about four different versions of that, <laughs> including a bunch of redundant DVD audio versions that I can't actually really play. DVD um, audio? At least they weren't oh. SACDs. Mm. And did, did, you have, did you have to throw out some laser discs while you were at it? <laughs> mini discs? Video tapes. <laughs> uh, I actually do have, did throw out some mini discs, sadly enough. But um, I just love this band, and this song is right up there. It is... Yeah, everything that everyone said about how great it was put together. The film clip also did it for me. Uh, It's just, there is something just undeniably beautiful about this song. And in the history of R.E.M., they kind of touched on it a little bit. There's maybe a couple of songs throughout those five, six IRS albums that are truly, truly beautiful. There's there's fun songs, there's great songs, there's rockin' songs. But, um... You know, I'm thinking Fall On Me or something. Yeah, right? I was about to say, Fall On Me is probably the only one quite in the same league yeah. as this song. Others will, will argue with that. But but then to come to this and, you know, it's really strange with Green, which, you know, by all accounts was their attempt to try and write hit singles and all they could do was rewrite the Archies because they didn't quite understand themselves what R.E.M on, say, Triple M was supposed to sound like. Mm. And so they wrote Stand and Orange Crush and Pops on And like, they just did this pop record. They did okay. And then they just went. And it just must have been amazing for them to come up with this song that just broke all boundaries. It's one of those songs where if you lived in Australia, it was like certain crowded house songs, whatever, that was played yeah. on Today FM, Triple M, and 106.5. Yeah. It was this, uh, it, like, Don't Speak by No Doubt was like one of those. <laughs> it was just really weird. And... um just yeah, this groundbreaking song. Probably but Triple I guess, J too. Yeah, definitely Triple J too. And look, we can talk. I'm sure some of us actually could talk about REM all night. But just quickly, because I don't think we're really going to get a chance to talk that much about REM again. Out of the 14 albums that they did, plus several live albums and compilations of things, favorite track and Tim Coyle. I think it's going to be most interesting for you. Uh, it changes so much. Um, I, I can, yeah, it's, I mean, this 
is such a great song and I can genuinely say it's one of my favourites. Um, and there's deep cuts for me as well, mm. like Sweetness Follows from Automatic for the People, which is an incredible, incredible song. Um, but for me, the one I always return to is actually Perfect Circle of right. Murmur, which is a Bill Berry written song and is just sublime. It's such an amazing song and it's probably it's the first REM song where Michael's vocals kind of really slip into something special there um and his, his vocals have changed he'd pick up that very huckleberry hound thing which um as as a 10 year old kid was part of the appeal of losing my religion he has that very uh broad southern voice but um yeah that's kind of the perfect circles always the one that does it for me and the one where his voice always gets me the most it's a great song. Uh, Tim Byron, what about you? Yeah, I think my favourite REM song is probably At My Most Beautiful from the Up album. And um, it's, it's one of those songs, like, I liked this song a lot. I, I really liked this song a lot before I had any idea what it was meant to sound like and what he was trying to do. Um, like, I don't think, like, I knew when I first heard that in 98. Like, I don't think I'd heard Pet Sounds by that point. So, um, because that song is a total oh, Beach wow. Boys. Yeah, that's amazing. So, what they were trying to do the Beach Boys thing and that connected with you. And you are such a big fan of the Beach Boys now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was obviously hearing like the kind of the piano-iness of it and the kind of, I, I like just like the feel, the kind of the happiness of that song and the kind of like the, the grace of it. I like that. Casey, what about you? What's the frequency, Kenneth? What do you love about that song? Like that guitar tone at the start. I'm, I don't think I'd heard anything quite like that before, mm. that, that guitar sound. And I love the nonsensical nature of the lyrics. I just... It's one of those songs that would make sense where if you could hear it a few times, kind of dig it and then get over it, but I've just never gotten over it and it's probably one of the songs that I would actually count in my top 20 or 30 songs of all time. Oh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a great song. And do you know the story of the phrase? What's the biggest thing? Yeah, some uh, crazed lunatic knocked over a Dan famous... Rather. Dan, Who was Rather. It? Dan Rather. In, in the street in New York or something yeah. and screamed it at him. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we know about that. Yeah. Someone just screamed, what's the frequency, Ken? Yeah. At him. And they just decided to write a song. So it's sort of like calling a song Soy Bomb or something. Exactly. Mm. Uh, which is, which is, is just a great insight into how Michael Stipe's brain works. But that song also has the great withdrawal with disgust is not the same as apathy. Yes. Richard Linklater. Which yeah. Richard yeah. said, because that's from, uh, what's the film, Slackers. Yeah. So, you know, Richard Linklater did say that. So that's an amazing song. And I guess just quickly for me, I actually agree with Casey to, to that those early Warner Brothers albums are my favourite. And if, if it comes down to the crunch, New Adventures in Hi-Fi is my favourite R.E.M. record. And if I had to make an R.E.M. song for, to introduce to someone and it's my favourite R.E.M. song, it's Electrolyte. Oh, okay. It yeah. just beautifully ends. It's, you know, it's the last song on the last album they did as a full piece. And it's, it has that beauty that Losing My Religion and Everybody Hurts has. And it's just such a beautiful goodbye song. And it's got all well, the movie that, references yeah. and silliness. It's that amazing sign-off at the end. I'm yeah. not scared. I'm out of here. Yeah. It's yeah, just such a great way to finish a song and an album. Well, Casey, do you want to roll the dice? It's down to only two choices. Only two left. So the two movies left to roll would be The Commitments or Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, I believe. <laughs> so let's see how we go. 
And it's Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Bill and Ted's bogus no journey. No way. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Oh, no, that was more Wayne's World. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, Two movies that are inextricably linked in my head. Yeah, Definitely. fair enough. Tim Byron, do you want to introduce yourself? Cream by Prince. Cream by Prince, and that was Tim Byron's choice. And let's go through what everyone thought that Tim Byron would choose. Tim Coyle, what did you think? I got it. You got it. Yes, Cream. Casey? I got it too, which means that I batted 100% on this one. <laughs> yeah, okay. I also chose Aisha by another bad creation. <laughs> <laughs> so I got that wow, wrong. Wow, so, so far <laughs> everybody has chosen correctly. No, I chose another bad creation. So <laughs> I honestly did. Yeah, I bet you did. Uh, so, Tim Byron, you chose this song. What does it mean for you? All right, so for Prince, the first Prince song I remember is Bat Dance. And I remember that because it had the bat, Batman theme in it. I liked the Batman theme. And so I was like, cool, Bat Dance. You know, I, I liked that, but I, I don't think I had like much of an appreciation for it. It was just like a catchy riff. And, like, after that, I think the first Prince I really paid attention to was Get Off, which was the single right before Cream. And I remember with yes. Get Off, I was just kind of like, this is about sex. Hmm. And I remember, I remember sort of, like, <laughs> liking it and thinking this is really cool, but at the same time, like, being sort of repulsed by it, by being like, oh, this is, this is weird adult sex stuff. <laughs> and, and, so, and so after Get Off, when I kind of, like, sort of came to like it and stuff, and then I heard Cream, and I was like, wow, this is all the things I really liked about Get Off, but it's not about sex. <laughs> That's and funny. yeah, as an, as an adult, I know just how wrong I was, because Cream <laughs> is probably even dirtier than Get Off. But um, Cream is just, it's just a brilliant song as far as I'm concerned. It's just like the, the classic Prince going bubblegum kind of song. It's just like hook after hook after hook. It's got all those sort of... You know, it's got the great guitar lines and that great guitar sound. And, like, you know, he looks up in the air and there's a guitar and then there's a little guitar solo and then it's back to the song. There's all the kind of cooler sides from the others, like, ain't nobody better and stuff like that. It's just, I, I just, like, listen to it and it's just, like, it, it just feels good to listen to. It's a happy, great song to listen to. So, yeah, I, I love Cream and I still love it now. Casey, what about you? So this is an example of a song that I would have picked, that I was going to pick, but I thought... I'm going to hedge my bets and hope that Tim <laughs> <Someone else. laughs> picks it. 
Uh, so I still get to talk about it, and I and this one paid off. It's what what I exactly what I did with losing my religion. Yeah. <laughs> that said, obviously I like I love this song, and I remember um, really really well. I have memories, and it's embarrassing to say, but it, but it, it's cool because we're all you know we're grown ups now. But when I was this age, um, so I was already playing music, and I had. A couple of bits and pieces. So I had a microphone, I had an amplifier and an electric guitar and, and those those kind of things. And this is one of the songs that I remember setting up a microphone on a stand in my room and like miming it along <laughs> to the clip and singing awesome. it along. Like, yeah, this is one of those songs that I really remember that. And um, were you Prince or were you Diamonds or Pearl? <laughs> Did you look up in the air and there's your guitar? Oh, indeed. <laughs> you know it. Um, I also remember when somebody told me what the cream was a reference to. I, I remember thinking, actually, when we were when I was listening to it this week, wondering why I didn't get it, and remembering that I remembered that I knew what I touched myself was about at the time, but I didn't know what this was about at the time. But I guess. This is in the same the same as your experience, Tim Byron. That it's it's not as explicit, but yet when you know what it's on about, mm. it's so much more dirty. Um, but listening to it this week, what I found interesting about it is that it's I reckon eighty percent of what's going on in this is attitude more than anything <laughs> else. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm. it's just all attitude that that the groove in the drum in the drum beat that's very simple and nothing a lot happens in the drum beat but it's still great because it's just just driving all the way through um yeah i really enjoyed it i enjoyed it most um on the way home today and i turned it up as loud as i had listened to it all week and it made a bit of difference like it really all just came through but it's all just solid attitude and i, I love it it's great tim coyle yeah i wasn't a really big prince fan when i was a kid and I remember first hearing that song, and it's got all the moaning at yeah. the start. <laughs> yeah. And that, I think we discussed last week, I was developing a little bit of an anti sex attitude at this stage, and this freaked me the fuck out <laughs> when, when I heard it. And even though, like Tim Byron and Casey, I couldn't quite put my finger on what was going on exactly in Cream, I knew it was something, something sleazy. And yeah, it just it freaked me out a bit and didn't much like it at the time. Now I can just see it's it's a really great song. It's just got all those slinky little guitar lines. There's that one little guitar lick just as it goes into the chorus that's amazing. Mm. It's just a an amazing touch. But yeah, everything about this song's brilliantly put together and it's just constructed in this really fantastic way and I really enjoyed listening to it this week. Uh, I like the song too. I guess this is from Diamonds and Pearls, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I remember uh, having this album on cassette and listening to it a lot and, yeah, never really quite understanding what it's about. And, yeah, it's dirty but it's hidden and it's completely cartoonish so it's kind of just... Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of silly fun, and that still hasn't dated. And listening to it now, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It is. You're right. I didn't think about that, Casey. But yeah, it is all about the attitude. Like it's not something a, another artist can pull off. And... I think that's the the point I was trying to make. It's it. I don't think he could cover this or mm. or anything. Or I don't know if anyone's covered it, but it wouldn't be right if it wasn't him. Yeah, like Rodan Keating couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess that's my feelings for the song. Other, other than that, yeah, it's not really one of my favourite Prince songs or anything like that, but it's it's a fine bit of 
fun and, and bravado. Yeah, so we've, we've talked a lot about Prince already because a lot of the, or a number of the number ones that we've had to discuss, or had to discuss, that we've discussed have been <laughs> Prince penned. So there was the Martika one from mm. a couple of weeks ago and Sinead. and Sinead O'Connor. Was that it? Yeah. So we've already talked quite a bit about Prince, really. Mm, definitely. Are there any other number ones that are coming up yep. that we will actually get to? Yeah, okay. there's, there's another. Okay. Did, did yeah. everyone watch the film clip again this week? No, but I remember the film clip quite, quite well, and I remember the little... Um, the act at the start before the song starts That's and they go to the bar to. and they go, can I have some fresh strawberries with cream? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's quite interesting. I, I think what I find most funny about it is all the references to like, cause they're at a train station bar and then they about to catch a train to Minneapolis, which is where he's from. Okay. And well, I only found out that Prince was from Minneapolis, maybe in my early twenties, reading an interview with the replacements. <clears throat> And the replacements had broken into their record label, like in the middle of the night, to steal back their master tapes, and were arrested for it. And when <laughs> Such asked a replacement story, and when asked why they did it, they said that they wanted to throw the tapes into the river and hope that it float down the road to Prince's house and he might change his musical direction. <laughs> <laughs> was, but like there was something about Prince, he was just like he didn't seem like he was from this world, let alone. A simple town like Minneapolis. Like the sort of conservative Midwest. Yeah, yeah. like it just seems to come out of nowhere, this fantasy land. And the film clip definitely plays on that, I think. Yeah, Did you guys see the film clip this week too, Byron? Yeah, yeah, I watched the film clip. And I like just with what I was saying before about like how I didn't realise it was about sex, I, I watched the film clip today and, and I was like, wow, that kind of like, you know, him and Diamond and Pearl or whatever they're called, um, you know, they're, they're simulating a threesome in the video. And I remember thinking at the time when I was nine that I was like, that's cool dancing. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's hugging. Everybody's hugging. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, the video clip, um, you know, that, that guitar, that yellow guitar he's got is so cool. Like you just look at it and it's mm. like Prince could not have a better guitar for who he is than that big yellow guitar. Yeah. It's just awesome. Just, just kind of going back to what I said about we, we kind of forget how big George Michael was as a pop star. I think we also forget how big Prince was at the time because he was monstrously big. Yeah, yeah he was up there with yeah. Madonna and Whereas, Michael Jackson, but they were yeah. the big three at this point. Mm. But Prince is often not spoken of in those in terms, terms these yeah, days. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, I think his star has definitely faded more than the others. For whatever reason, oh, to a to a point though, but I think that um, the the goodwill for Prince is is there probably more so than the than the others. Sure, in certain circles. I mean, how many shows did he do in Australia last year? And yeah. how many shows yeah. did you go to, Tim Byron? I just went oh, to really? the one did show. You go to- I just one. Okay. I was tempted to go to the after party kind of thing that they were doing, but like. I was tired. <laughs> I, I went and saw rock. Him. Yeah, I'm so rock. I saw I saw him four times at the O2, the 21 Nights, and that was pretty amazing. That that was actually a big jump in my appreciation for Prince seeing him live. I he's not one of those artists that I've sort of even in the era of YouTube went and hunted around for live footage of, mm. and I didn't realize how much of a how much talked between songs. Oh really? Yeah, he was making jokes. He was saying things like. I have more hits than Madonna has kids. And um, the best moment was three or four songs in. He finished playing a song and, like, the crowd clapped and then he just went, okay, that's enough, show's over. And everyone's like, what? And he goes, 
You guys can't handle me. London, you can't handle me. You can't handle my hits. I've got too many hits. You can't handle Get Off. You can't handle Little Red Corvette. You can't handle Diamonds and Pearls and Between Each Song. Everyone's going, yeah, like, you know, when you mention songs. Yeah. You, you can't handle, and takes a guitar and goes, kiss. And then kicks into kiss. <laughs> and it is just, it was like seeing Kanye West or someone like that. And the thing with Prince is he's such an amazing musician in so many different instruments. Like, he's oh, a great he piano player. Like, when I saw him live in Brisbane, he did uh, Diamonds and Pearls, just him on a piano. And it was amazing. Like, I don't really like that song that much. Like, the recorded version of it is a bit sort of slow and boring as far as I'm concerned. But seeing that live was just like, whoa, he is awesome. Like, he was just, like, nailing it. And he's doing all these sort of fancy jazzy piano runs on the piano. He's a great guitarist as well, as I'm sure Casey's about to tell us. Oh, I, I will agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, as, as a singer, he's just, like, amazing. He can hear all the notes still. As a, as a, drum, as a drummer, he, you know, he, he played everything on all of his early albums and, like, you would never know that he was... You know, he's not that great a bass player, but, like, you know, you can, you can figure some things. <laughs> yeah. His tambourine work is really loud. His canasters. Um, Favourite Prince song? Casey. Ooh, this, actually. This? Do this, yeah. Really? Yep. Okay. Uh, Tim Byron? Uh, it's like picking children. I, I would have to say... <laughs> yeah, that's always fun. <laughs> I would have to say, for me, it comes down to either uh, Money Don't Matter Tonight, which is just great. Oh, actually, just, yeah, that is a great song. Which also is that from, from this album as well, yeah, also from it? Diamonds yeah. and Pearls. It's either that or I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man from um, Sign of the Times, which is just another great song. Right. Tim Coyle? Raspberry Beret. I, yeah. I love... Uh, Can I change my, my t- choice now? T- I just t- remember t- Raspberry <laughs> Beret. <exists>. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Byron mightn't like it that much, but I really love Diamonds and Pearls as well. So one of those two. Kiss is up there for me, and I was just actually just thinking that, oddly enough, just true true to um, coincidence of history, I think the first time I ever heard that song was probably Tom Jones. Oh, absolutely. I was kind of going to say that, but I also didn't want to admit it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, like literally Corvette, which I put up there with Raspberry Beret is just sort of when he just decided to be pop mm. is just, yeah. So Little Red Corvette for me is I'd actually, actually, I forgot, um, 1999 would probably be a fairly close second to me <laughs> as well. That's so basically a, a lot of songs that we all like. By <laughs> yeah. the also Sign of yeah. the Times, yeah, the title track. <laughs> yeah. Just keep on going. <laughs> Which leads us to our final song of the night, and I guess we don't have to roll the dice. We don't have to roll the dice. It's, it's going to come up commitments. Yeah, the commitments, <laughs> which in itself is a fantastic music thing from 1991. Indeed. But, Casey, this is your choice. So, Casey, why don't you tell us what you've chosen? All right. Um, again, I'm going to bring the, the real Bogan Rock to the table. <laughs> um, and this is uh, The Screaming Jet with Better.
And so, guys, what did you? Uh, what were your picks? What did you think I was going to choose? Timbo? Um, I thought you were going to choose Better by the Screaming Jets. Really? You picked it? Oh, Tim? yeah. Uh, I... I chose Miss Free Love 69 by the Hoodoo Gurus. Uh-huh. And that oh. was on my highly commended, but we'll get to those. I chose Aisha by another. <laughs> <laughs> You're an idiot. Anyway, Backwards. I picked three out of three. Yeah, so yeah. did I. Yeah. Winners! Danny didn't do so well. <laughs> Casey, how do you feel about this song? Oh, look, I um, th- this is a song that I just genuinely loved at the time. And when you look at my pick from last time that we did a Choose Your Own Adventure episode, um, it's pretty much on par with that kind of thing, you know, from Poison's Unskinny Bop to Better by the Screaming Jets. This is, this is the type of stuff that was really having an effect on me at this time. I thought it was um, just really great. I thought it was really nice and rocking. But the other big thing that I have a really good memory of for this song is it, it, it hung around in popularity for, for quite a while. And when I was a little bit older and was in high school, it was one of the songs that anyone who played music learned how to play because in the the intro, it's got that really distinctive drum part that it opens up with mm. and it's got that really distinctive bass, bass part, part that comes in next and then the guitar riff after that. So anyone who played guitar, bass or drums learned the guitar, bass or drum part for that song. <laughs> so... Because <laughs> <laughs> the keyboard. You're right because... Because you could hear that so clearly, right? Yeah, yeah, you could yeah. go, if you're the drummer, you could go, okay, I'm just going to follow that bit. Yeah. And then the bass is so clearly separated. There's a fun little rhythmic bass line. Yeah. And then and, great guitar. Yeah. And so for that reason, I probably played this song at lunchtimes in the music room in high school about 40,000 <laughs> times <laughs> over the space of about three years. And not only that, I played it in the first band, like proper band that I was in. Um, and I sang it in that band as well, and um, and I just really, uh, really loved it. This week, um, look, I enjoyed it, but I, I, I had an interesting feeling about the song. I feel as though intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, awesome, and when it tries to hit the middle A, it just it kind of dies for me. You, you can tell at a certain point that they ran out of ideas. They, they had a great verse and a great chorus, and that was about it. Wake and up, they, man, you're needed, in my dreams, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that crap, which is just <laughs> a real obvious, like, we need something different, but we can't really think of anything different, <laughs> so we'll just do something a bit shit that's different. <laughs> so, look, this week I, I, I enjoyed listening to it, and I definitely, absolutely saw what I loved about it at the time, and, and there was um, parts of it that I enjoyed, but I guess... Um, bringing to it my, my musical sort of knowledge and things that I've grown to like post then there, there's a bit lacking from it really. Um, but, but yeah, I, I still think it was pretty good for the time. Tim Byron, what about you? Yeah. It's funny in the end that Casey chose this one because I was trying to figure out what he'd choose um, just before we get to what I think. And it, for me, like I figured he'd either pick this or he'd pick more than words by extreme. I knew it was going to be yeah, one or two. Yeah, that was up there as well. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe like um, the Guns N' Roses song, but I thought, no, nah, probably not. When um, yeah. Casey chose Unskinny Bop last time, I remember sort of not really caring about the song very much at the time. Like, it wasn't really something that was on my radar. And so when I was listening to it, I was like, yeah. But this one, listening to it, uh, you know, it brought back memories. And I was paying attention. I think I liked better at this time. Like, you know, it, it reminded me of like sort of adolescent sweat and sort of older boys that my, you know, who were... You know, my, my parents, friends, kids who were sort of weird and scary 
Um, but this one, like, I don't know, I could get past the smell of adolescent sweat um, here, like, in this song to like it. So, yeah, I listened to this and I was like, yeah, this, it's a good song. And, like, listening to it now as an, as an adult, like, the thing that it reminds me of is it's kind of... It, it's, it's a odd-sounding song because it's not quite metal per se. It's sort of like a halfway in-between kind of thing between, you know, the metal of, like, a poison and stuff like that and, like, Oz Rock, like your Midnight Oils and Cold Chisels. It's sort of like a halfway in-between, which was, like, perfect because it meant that, like, you know, Triple M would play it. It was sort of, like, nice mm. enough that, like, Hey Hey, like, you know, they appeared on Hey Hey playing it and that was fine. You know, they could even have played it on, like, Today FM and stuff like that. It was, it was a pretty sort of crossover kind of stuff. And I was the thing I was thinking was... It sort of almost sounds a bit like early Pearl Jam. Like, it's, it's sort of almost on the way yeah. to that kind of grungy kind of thing. Like, it, if you sort of took, like, Better and, like, That Ain't Bad and smooshed them together, you'd have, like, alternative rock. <laughs> Tim Coyle, what about you? Uh, that riff. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, I, I remember the song really well. Um, I, and I do really love, love that riff. I think this is the first song... I can think of where I actually thought the hook in the verse was that much better than the chorus, uh, or and the hook in the pre-chorus. That pre-chorus part is, is, is great. Is the best thing about the song, but the chorus itself just leaves me quite flat. Uh, mm. I don't think it's a great chorus at all. It's not a great hook. It kind of brings the song down. And Casey was talking about where they kind of lose the plot a mm. bit in the song especially at the end where they try to be Guns N' Roses yeah. and yeah just kind of it's a swing and a miss uh, with that one and it probably wasn't the best idea in the, in the first place like a lot of Guns N' Roses so but I thought that that bit at the end I thought at the time I thought that was awesome yeah did you learn that guitar solo Casey oh you know it you fucking better believe I did so yeah I, th- I think it's I think it's a pretty decent song as, as Tim Byron says it's very pub rock mm. in in a lot of ways which which is no bad thing I think also Screaming Jets toured Tamworth given they're from Newcastle yeah. which is the closest major city to to Tamworth and given every second person you meet in Newcastle is from Tamworth <laughs> um, yeah there's kind of historical historically close associations between the cities yeah, this song is fine. I remember it being on the radio and I remember liking it, but I guess quite the opposite of Casey. This was not what I was into at the yeah. time and wasn't really into, like, the Angels or right. still not really into any of those sort of bands. And Screaming Jets, for me, apart from their cover of Shiver, this is pretty much the only song I really know by them. So, yeah, never really followed their career. Dave Gleason, you know, I see around and things and he just sort of, you know, is around. He just yeah. stayed around. But um, this song is fine for me. It's got a yeah, really decent guitar hook and and I think actually quite a good chorus, quite a you know, it's a big pub anthem. Mm. But if I was at a festival and Screaming Jets were playing, I'd be trying to listen to that one song and if they didn't play it, I don't think I would mind. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, it's just never a song that's really connected to me. It doesn't really say anything, doesn't yeah. really it's just sort of I mean, Tim Byron mentioned cultures on A C D C I don't think it's on that level by any means. So it's a fine song. I'll listen to it. I don't really turn it off. Yeah. I don't, it's not on that level. It's more on the, the level of, um, of a band like the Angels. It's more that kind of thing. Yeah. Noise works. Um, noise works. <laughs> hot, hot, hot Chili Woman was also a, a possibility for, <laughs> for the picks of this of this week. But what I was going to say is one of the things that I always have or will always have a soft spot um, for the Screaming Jets is that from what Tim Coyle said, 
they always came to Tamworth. And they were one of those bands that I probably saw between the ages of 17 and 19 when I left there, which, you know, it's only a couple of years, but I probably saw them four or five times because they just always came to town. And they were a, there was a period there in the mid-90s where they were pretty big in Australia and a lot of bands didn't come to Tamworth and they were one of the only bands that did. And, and for that... I guess I, I admired that and I respected that and I thought that that was really good of them and I and I thank them for it. And they were one of the, the only big rock bands that I saw a number of times before I managed to get the hell out of that place. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that, I've always got, I'll always have a bit of a soft spot for the Screaming Jets. Like I said, I don't really know much about the Screaming Jets, but I'm assuming that was more their MO, right? If yeah. If they were a touring, working yeah. rock band that would come and play in your pub and it's a night out and... You know, it's music probably best enjoyed with five or six of your mates after a couple of beers. And... What, a couple of beers? You t- your cans of Jim Beam, thank you. Cans? Bottles! <laughs> yeah. The, the thing with this song for me was that at the time I had no idea whatsoever what he was singing at the start of the chorus. That kind of, Saturday night, we're going nowhere. Like, I had no idea what that was meant to be. I was just like, what the hell is he singing? And, like, I listened to it more recently, and I'm like, okay, so it's, like, said we'd never get anywhere. But, like, I had no idea about that, and it was only, like, when listening recently that I was like, oh, that's what he's singing. And can anyone, like, no, I mean, Danny, you said that you probably couldn't other than the cover of Shiver, but can anybody name any other Screaming Jet songs that they could say that they liked? Or Yeah, I loved Helping Hand. Oh, that was a that. What a great oh, song! Oh yeah, I know that song. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like this great sort of almost song. jazzy kind of thing. That's just like yeah. it's got like a great melody, and um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really different sounding to better, which is probably why you didn't associate the two in your head. But yeah, I I think Helping mm. Hand is a great song, and of course there's Shivers. Yeah, Helping Hand Shivers. They had a really good single called Sad Song. That was a a really cool single. Yeah, um, that was a good one as well. A song called Living in England, which I really liked and had the EP for. And what I remember about that EP, apart from the, um, the lead track, was that there was a cover of Folsom Prison Blues, like a very Screaming Jets version oh, right. really? of wow. Folsom Prison Blues, which I, which is actually really, really good. It was probably the first time I heard that song too. Yeah, wow. So there you go. Um, they're, they're definitely a band that I remember when I was working in retail, they put out a Greatest Hits and I, I don't know if you know it, it's the one with sort of plane parts on the cover, like an aeroplane. Hits and pieces. Like cut out. Yes, hits and pieces. Absolutely. And I just remember selling so much of it. And I remember actually putting it on and going, I don't know any of these songs. <laughs> like, so yeah, they're kind of a mystery to me. And they're kind of, you know, we talked about people whose stars have faded. Yeah, what happened to them? I mean, they're still around, aren't they? Yeah, and, and I mean, that, that was the other thing that I remember, even in that couple of years that I saw them a number of times. Um, Dave Gleason, the singer, and I think it's Paul Wazine, who's the bass player, who's also the one who does all of those backing vocals that are quite prominent oh, yeah. on a lot of the songs. They're the only constants. So the guitar players changed quite a lot and they went through a bunch of drummers. So they didn't have a consistent lineup at all. So that you could go and see them tomorrow and it'd be the singer, the bass player, and two guitarists and a drummer, you know, from wherever. It's that kind of situation. So, um, yeah, they probably still play, but in what incarnation or configuration, who knows, mm. or cares, really. Yeah. <laughs> and Dave Gleason's singing with the Angels now, I think. Yep. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, he's singing yeah. with oh, the yeah, Angels. That would make sense. The other thing that he does is um, on, on the local Hits and Memories radio kind of 2WSE kind of thing up here, um, Dave Gleason has got like a late night show where he plays rock music. And, like, oh, really? and there's some, someone else who keeps calling him Gleeso. 
And it's like, it's really annoying, like Gleeso. Why don't you say Gleeson? <laughs> One of those weird things. You don't say many syllables, do you? Yeah. 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 yeah you know, you're not saying any times. Yeah. <laughs> any honourable mentions, Casey? Yes, lots. Lots. <laughs> <laughs> um, Unbelievable by EMF. Oh, I was oh, going to say that. That's the one that's uh, <laughs> that's the one that Joe, my wife, wanted me to pick, and I was like, "Who's doing this podcast?" Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Love rears its ugly head by Living Color. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm. Come to me by Diesel. Oh yeah. He was one of the first pe- people I ever actually saw play a live gig. Uh, Miss Free Love by uh, by Huda Gurus was definitely on my list, and Cherry Pie by Warren. Cherry Pie by Warrant was my big other choice. Right. It was just, it's just such a fun pop song. Mm-hmm. Like, even though it's masquerading as a hard rock song, it is just the most joyous bit of music. Yeah. Um, that was probably the big honourable mention for me. And then the other ones were the Guns N' Roses songs on here, especially Don't Cry, um, were very big songs for me. But other than that, for me, it wasn't a great year, except for the songs that hit number one. So things like Rush which we've already talked about. So, yeah, those were my honourable mentions. Tim Coyle? Cherry Pie was on my <laughs> list. And I'm Free by the Soup Dragons mm, ah. was also on mine. Unbelievable was on mine as well. Uh, ring, Ring, Ring. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, yes. And the Shoop Song. <laughs> or the Shoop Shoop Song. Oh, yeah, that's oh, a great question. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know. Tim Byron? The, the two that I was kind of like umming and ahhing about and trying to pick were Miss Free Love 69 by the Hoodoo Gurus. And there's a theme there with between that and Cream, like these songs that at the time I had no idea exactly what they were about. <laughs> Orgies. I just, I just thought it was about 1969 and like the hippies and stuff. I had uh-huh. no idea. Um, that and Ring, Ring, Ring by De La Soul, they were the ones that I was um, yeah. closest to picking. But like, yeah, the, all the ones you mentioned, like I'm Free by the Soup Dragons and like Love Ribs, Your Ugly Head, like great songs. Of the choices that everyone else made, what was your favourite? Tim Coyle, why don't we start with you? Uh, Freedom 90. Uh, Tim Byron? I think Mm. I would also say Freedom 90. Oh, okay. Uh, I would say Losing My Religion. Casey? Um, I think I would say Losing My Religion as well. It's it's hard to pick that over cream, but I will say Losing My Religion. So we've got a dead heat. We've got a dead heat. Mm. Uh, Well, there you go. Thank you for listening. Casey, do you want to let people know where they can find us? Of course. Please follow us on Twitter. We are at 90%Hits. Um, the Tumblr blog is going absolutely crazy. There is so much content up there and it is all awesome. So um, please check in at the Tumblr blog. So we're 90%Hits on Tumblr. You can send us an email, uh, 90%Hits at gmail.com, percent in all instances spelled out in words. Uh, and please, you know, if you're on iTunes, uh, rate our podcast, leave a message, leave a comment, and also on the blog too. Tim Byron, what's coming up on the blog in the next week or so? For the four or five songs this week, four songs that we do each week, we have one day that's sort of devoted to each song. So so sort of like all the things we didn't quite get to say in the podcast because we ran out of time. So, yeah, thank you for listening, and that's it for another week. And tune in next week when we will be returning to 1992. And euphoria. And continue... Yeah, the <laughs> stories. It's the last yeah, podcast. Awesome. Yeah, anybody who tuned in this week looking to for the continuation of Euphoria, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you for listening. They told me that you were really bad. For my love. Not everything's singing, you know. The only important thing these days is...
Okay. <laughs> Why did you actually pick Danny? I, I just, you can, nah. you can just, yes, I totally, in all seriousness, chose Aisha uh, by another bad creation for all three I of you. I, I'm just going to go and ask JD. I'll be back in a sec. <laughs> I don't think that you took this task seriously, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> Aisha, another bad creation. <laughs> Yeah. JD has confirmed that you actually did pick that, you idiot. 